Hello and welcome to the Red Hand Podcast. The Red Hand provides next-level Ulster rugby coverage, offering fans unrivaled insight, unfiltered opinion, powerful stories, and accessible analysis. Every minute of every game is covered with weekly in-depth written articles, interviews with players past and present, analysis from rugby experts, and a podcast in which we preview and review Ulster's games and discuss all things Ulster Rugby. To gain full access, please join us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the red hand or visit theredhand.co. Welcome to the Red Hand Podcast. Ulster got what was a decent bonus point win on paper, but most fans left the stadium with mixed emotions. A 40-19 victory over the Dragons is not to be sniffed at, but the coaching team after the game reflected on some of the more disappointing aspects in their post-game comments. A lack of intensity over the full 80 minutes, questionable defence and plenty to work on ahead of the Edinburgh game. Anyway, Ulster have moved ahead of the Stormers, that's the good news. And Monster, fair play to them, huge Monster fan now. <laughs> uh, they did us a favour at the weekend, so our final league position is in, in our own hands this Friday. So it's an important one, we need to win. Um, and we'll talk a wee bit more about that in a minute. But want to look back on the game, discuss what we need to improve and all things Ulster Rugby. So to discuss that, I'm joined by Jack, Paul, Yeston and Nathan. What a, a panel we have tonight. So, Jack, I want to check with you sort of what were your thoughts on that game? Just a, a quick summary, maybe for people who didn't see the game. What are your thoughts on that game from an Ulster perspective? Yeah, so I was trying to think of a fun way to sort of describe this this game as I sort of watched it and, and, I, and I came up with this sort of analogy that it's kind of like you know uh, a, a bit of a, a bit of a remake of a good film that you that you used to love watching you know like 10 15 years ago and they've and they've made it and they've made it all sort of nice and shiny and fancy and it looks and it looks great but just a bit of laziness here and there and it's not quite it's not quite the same product that it was before and it was a little bit like that on on Friday for me, where there were some great sort of individual moments, and there was some great sort of um, inter interlinking and and uh, and some really good aspects of of play, but it was just a little bit, it's just a little bit boring. There was not too much to get excited about. It was actually quite a good game. I think that both both teams played quite well, and it was a it was sort of a I guess a, a fun game to watch because it was quite wild and loose at times. But um, I think really, if we're being honest with ourselves, it was probably quite a disappointing performance from Ulster all round because you'd say that you know credit to the Dragons, they came and they they played with a bit of variety, but you you would have hoped that it wouldn't have been so close at about the, the 60 minute mark um it was only about five points in it i think maybe at that point when they scored those two um those two quick ones in the second half so it was uh 26 21 at one point so really really sort of closer than it should have been because we were you know 21 7 up at uh, uh, just after half time so you're thinking to yourself for uh, you know should be should be fairly fairly plain sailing but Lots of mistakes, some 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 really poor kicking at, at, at times. For the most part, it was good, but a few real loose ones that allowed dragons in and and, and fair play to them. They they took their chances, but you know it was just um it was just grand, you know. Uh, it was it was <laughs> that's you know, a Northern Irish so, way to yeah, describe it. <laughs> yeah, and and you know we're happy enough, and uh, I think you know there was actually some some really nice bits of play scattered in there that was actually really really nice to to see and i thought there was some really good work at the breakdown as well some really good speed of of, of players getting there and things like that so there's lots of little aspects that were really really good but i think overall yeah. it was just a wee bit off in terms yeah. of where we should be yeah i, li- I like your analogy a, a sort of a reboot of a franchise that we know and love and you see aspects of, of i'm thinking rocky i'm thinking spider-man uh, yeah, you see, Ghostbusters, you know, like kind of <laughs> great, but like it hasn't got hasn't hasn't got Bill Murray in it. So yeah, like, would, why, you know, that, that, a Ghostbusters comparison is a damning indictment of of Ulster's performance. I think that's too far. <laughs> I think that's not fair in the lads. Um, <laughs> but I know what you mean. There's aspects that uh, things that you know and love pop up in the course of the game, but there's also uh, things that we don't like to see so much, and uh, maybe a wee bit of laziness or sloppiness in there as well. I think that's a fair fair description, and yeah, helps me helps me understand my my thoughts and emotions after that game. Anyway, so I'm delighted uh, again to have uh, Yeston on on the pod. He's our 
Welsh rugby correspondent for the Red Hand, and great to have you, Eston. So you probably watch the the Dragons more than a lot of the listeners and myself included. There just isn't enough time to follow Welsh rugby as closely as I, as I would like. But in terms of, uh, from your perspective, and I always like having, I've had you on before, obviously, but I like having people from from other teams and perspectives come in and sort of give us give us some uh, chat from outside the Ulster rugby bubble. So how does that performance fit in the overall context of the season for the Dragons? So give us a, a bit of an idea of, is that a good Dragons performance? What were the what were the sort of thoughts and feelings after that one? Um. Well, if we if we're looking throughout the season, it's um it, it's probably kind of what what we expected now from from the dragons. Unfortunately, um, it, it's just defeat after defeat. It seems to be um it's gone off the boil since the start of the season. Where after a dismantling up in Edinburgh, um, Dean Ryan um was uh, was 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 no longer well. At, well, he was still at the Dragons, but he was no longer taking charge of the first team. So Di Flanagan stepped up and came in, and then from a period then from about October to about for, for to November, the, the Dragons really you th- you thought the Dragons were going to turn the corner. They they beat Manchester Rodney Parade. Uh, they they turned over the Ospreys in the Welsh in the Welsh Derby, and they and they gave Zebra a bit of a a bit of a thumping too. And but um but since. But since around about December time, the wheels have slowly fallen off. And um, uh, watching the Dragons a few weeks ago at, at the Ospreys, where, where where everyone just thought it was a good idea to target the Ospreys fly off Jack Walsh, and um, it just that just wasn't a good a good Dragons performance, which led to the Glasgow game then and the Challenge Cup, which they were completely out of sorts. The Johnny Matthews, the Glasgow hooker, scored five, and and Glasgow had so scored. 73 points so in the looking at it from from where it was at the start of the season you know when 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 they picked up their couple of wins it it it, it is a poor performance but in hindsight looking back after the really really two really poor performances against Ospreys and Glasgow in the last couple of weeks I think it, it was a more improved dragon side uh, that that we saw in Ulster but um well into trying to compete in the league they just need to get more wins on the board. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's been a tough time for, for the Dragons and Welsh rugby generally. And uh, it's a question I probably I might come through later in, in the way that the, the Champions Cup is structured so that the, there will be a Welsh team sort of gets through. But um, we'll we'll get to that in a bit. But I want to speak to Paul, who was actually at the game. It was one of the send of the lads, one of the few games I didn't get to uh, in the season, but Paul, what was the atmosphere like at the Kingspan? Did you you sort of saying but before we were recording about it being a wee bit flat? What was the vibe? And tell us a wee bit about the uh, the chat from Dan McFarland and the, uh, the the coaches after the game. Yeah, it was a bit flat. Um, a lot of gaps in the terraces and the the two stands behind the goals. I don't know. Maybe I've noticed that there's a lot more tickets sold for this Friday night Edinburgh. So. Maybe people just came down, had a decision to make, and no disrespect to the Dragons, I think they picked the Edinburgh as a more the more glamour tie between the two, with you know the home quarter final on the horizon. So maybe some budgeting issues and the whatnot. So yeah, it was a bit of a per per atmosphere, very flat. Yeah, I, I, and oh sorry, Paul. And then in, ter- in terms of in terms of Dan McFarland's words and and the coach's words after the game, what what did you make of that? And, and well, how- we we actually got. Uh, we actually got Dan Soper up post match. Um, it was just a case of job done. A lot of good bits, a lot of bad bits. <laughs> yeah. Um, particularly like the he thought they were a bit loose. Was his words words that he used? And you can see the conceded tries that they haven't normally done. Particularly that first try, the, the scrum half or fly half first. The Dragons just waltzed through the middle. The twenty two had the freedom of Belfast there, mm. and very unlike also to concede a try like that. Yeah. Um, he didn't. There was like no place for excuses. No such like the the break and play. You know the week they had off, and um, but he was very disappointed too. With the exit the exit drives that he had, like it's, uh, as Jack mentioned earlier, the kicking, especially when conditions were were so good. Yeah, yeah. And who who was responsible? I mean, we might turn to this, but in terms of the defensive lapses, was there anyone responsible? I, I noticed. I think Marcus Ray was maybe. At fault for one of them, or arguably at fault for one. Is there anyone you'd sing, single out without meaning to be harsh on them? But just yeah, out of interest, it's hard. But you know, the first try, I see that the scrum half he left uh, 
Eric O'Sullivan, just uh, grasping on the thin air. He sort of, uh, he, look, he looked up and he saw, all right, I'm going to be, I should be able to sidestep a prop here. And he, he did he did so uh, quite well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, and look, there, there were a few lapses and there's maybe that bit of rustiness um, with the week off. So, um, will not be will not be too harsh on them at the end of the day. Bonus point win, but the coaches were like as you say, there's plenty plenty to plenty yeah. to improve on. Um, yeah, and- I, think, I think sorry, Peter, come across here. I got the players maybe look at it. And it was a group. I think maybe that was maybe the atmosphere after the fourth try when twenty six seven up, and then within two minutes they probably just all turned off. You know, it's just down to concentration levels, and like yeah. then by the error mark, the the gap was down to seven, and then they sort of realised that they had the up the ante, but as Dan Super said, you know, we, we always had the plays, they won the game. They always felt confident that they would win, but like this yeah. end, this end of the season, job done, five yeah. points on the next one. Yeah, you're maybe more confident than me. I think there was that period where they ran in two tries within about two minutes, and I was thinking, oh, flip, here we go. This, <laughs> this, this could be a disaster, um, but thankfully it didn't happen. I was making the point after the game on social media, and people were particular. It's funny, you get classic. Facebook or whatever, people are getting annoyed at you if you're in any way negative, and some people think you're not being negative enough. But I was basically saying a, a, a good team would have come back to win that game if we if we take our foot off the pedal like that. But anyway, and I think there's the coaches are right to, to downplay that win a bit and say, look, that's not the standard we need to be playing to. My point would be, I think this is a talented squad, and if you're happy with the performance like that, um, we're maybe not reaching high enough for. Um, so anyway. Uh, I want to turn to you now, Nathan. Um, in terms of the individuals who stood out there, who would you pick out? Is there anyone who's particularly impressive from an Ulster perspective? Uh, Jacob Stockdale. <laughs> That's the best I've seen him in God knows how long. Um, it's funny, isn't it? How often have we asked for him to kind of be given that freedom to come in off his wing and, and, and dominate the ball? And he did. I mean, the, the first try was absolutely exquisite, wasn't it? And he had two big roles to play in it. He popped up in midfield. He, I think he ran behind a, a Tom Stewart decoy and he, and he breaks the line and he actually gave the initial pass, I think it was to Larry, a bit too early. I thought if he kept going, he could have maybe drawn another defender or two and then and then sent someone into space, but it didn't matter. Also recycled. Um, McCluskey and Stockdale combined again with two lovely offloads down the short side. Something also don't really do a lot of. They don't kind of play that short side. It's something you see like Gibson Park do a lot for Leinster. He'll quickly, you know, after a line break, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll dart down the, the short side just to kind of keep the momentum going and Cooney did that and spare Stockdale again to give the score the scoring offload, wasn't he? Um, I mentioned McCluskey there. I thought he was really good when Ulster tried to break it up a little bit and do things like that, like play an extra phase in the wide channels just to try and keep keep Dragons honest and, and not go the same way. Um, you know, it's easy to say Tom Stewart when he scores a hat trick. You know, I think it was his second try. Was it was literally just one of those where he just flops on the ball. I think he actually landed on his knees and just kind of. You know, just flop forward onto the ball. But that said, his other mall try was was really well taken. Finish. He timed it well, and you know, he again bit of broken play down the wide channel as he's there to finish it off for his third try. So I thought, you know, he had a pretty good all round game. Um, and then just I, I don't know. It's it's easy to, to to say, but I actually thought I was quite happy with John Andrew when he came off the bench. I mean, his first involvement was to throw that line out, get on the back of the mall, and then he he throws a little tip on pass for for Timoney for his try, doesn't he? Um, and I know it's, it's one moment in the game, but how often do we say Ulster just don't have that have any bench impact? They don't have anyone, particularly the forwards. I mean, it's different when Cooney or Doak comes on potentially. But up front, how many? How often do we say they just don't have that little bit of game-changing ability just to, to break the line, to do something that drags the momentum of the game back their way? Um, again, it's been a criticism we've had plenty of times. So to see a, a front row forward come on and do that was... Uh, was was quite pleasing, but yeah, for me the big one was 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 Jacob. I mean, Jack has helpfully thrown me a stat there, uh, saying he's the top carrier with sixteen. I suspect he was also the top meter uh, maker, wasn't he? Because not only did he have a hand in that first, have a hand in that first try, but there was the try that was chalked off as well, wasn't it? Where he pops up on the opposite wing with a really late swing into into the line, breaks the line, runs in field to draw the last man and puts Gilroy away. It was just that was the Bermudan bump, wasn't it? Um, he took out a defender earlier on, which is unfortunate because it was absolutely brilliant. Because the one thing about Jacob is he's always been able to break tackles and, you know, his kicking game is pretty good in attacking. But he'd always say, right, you wanted to do that James Lowe Ireland role of coming in and, and breaking tackles and stuff. But does he have the distribution? And you gave, you know, the offload for the first try and then the, the pass for the try that wasn't like a 20 meter left to right pass. You know, he, he showed his distribution is also um, pretty good. So that, that was the most encouraging thing for me. Um Sorry, at the risk of naming everyone, I actually thought Mikey Larry was pretty good as well. 
Um, he made like a break off broken play, which we haven't really seen him do much. He did so much of it last year. It's why he got capped for Ireland. Um, he hasn't, teams have kind of kick chased him much better this year. And he hasn't been able to make those broken field breaks, but he kind of half made one. Um, he also had that ridiculous had a chip kick for, for one of the tries, wasn't it? Um, or no, it didn't need, it led to a line out that Ulster subsequently scored off, but he cross field kicked and then McCluskey grubbered forward. Just little moments like that. Um, Ulster broke the game up to get their best broken field game carriers, Stockdale, Larry and McCluskey on the ball more, and it worked really well. Yeah. What, what did you think of Cooney? Um, I, I mean, from my perspective, I thought he was significantly better than Duke has been, and Duke has been starting the majority of games, but I've heard different different opinions. Anyone have thoughts on Cooney's performance and, and how important he is to the side? Well, I would say, I thought his speed to the breakdown and delivery was really good, mm. wasn't it? Um, again, talking about that, first try when he goes down the blind side those two or three like that also only played about two three phases there but every single one is lightning because Cooney just there bam ball away and the decision making to go down the blind side for that he identified that there was a four on three or a three on two and and he had two really good runners in start and stopped on the cluster outside him so his decision making and delivery I thought was was pretty good yeah, yeah, agree. I, I, I think it's it's funny because Ulster do claim to be trying to play this this brand of sort of quick rock ball um, rugby and uh, keep defenses guessing. But as I say Duke has been slow at the breakdown. Like, and uh, it's 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 slightly confusing to me. Uh, I suppose he's being told the to box kick in certain areas as well, so maybe it's not his fault. But Cooney just seemed to bring a, a confidence and a control to the game and a speed to the game that um, we've been lacking whenever he hasn't hasn't played. So I, w- I want to. Uh, there's probably other people we could we could pick out from the Ulster Ulster side, but um, I want to turn and talk a wee bit about the Dragons team. Uh, I'd actually got it. Uh, I was hoping Bradley Roberts would be over. I don't know if you if you know what he was up to yesterday, but uh, we we would have liked to see Bradley come back to Belfast and get a run out against his old mates. But um, uh, in terms of who stood out from the Dragons. Was there? I mean, there's some obviously very talented players there, but who who stood out for you on Friday, Yeston? Um, well, Team Basham is probably the obvious mm. example at open side flanker. Um, I think well, even when he's been playing for Wales, he's always had that that knack of making multiple good carries a game, and we we saw that in the in the build up to the first try, that really really good offload to Angus O'Brien, and um, we saw the start of the second half where he went. Uh, romping uh, through the middle of the Elsa defence from from seemingly nothing with a a, a big fend on um, Stockdale too before he before he lost the ball. Um, just want a word on Rodri Williams, the scrum half. He he scored his try really well, and um, the underarm lineout, which is a particular interest of mine, um, midway through the first half, we just lobbed it in field and. Um, uh, there was obviously a bit of debate on Twitter this is, if it was a, a legal lineup or not. I'm pretty sure it it, it is, but I'll, I'll probably we'll have to double check on that one. But I thought on the whole, you know, and I think Roger Williams has been like that all season, even if he's been starting or coming off the bench, he's always been a little spark for the Dragons in terms of just getting quick ball and and you know he's got he's got a good turn of pace in him as well, and and we saw that with his with his try. Um, obviously, despite his yellow card, Elite scored that rolling mole and he and he took that quite well. Um, so those would probably be the the three main standouts. But uh, it was interesting to see Angus O'Brien at fly half, um, where he started most of the season at fullback. Um, obviously, he's he's played ten before with, with the Dragons uh, many years ago. Um, so it was interesting to see him coming in at at um, at ten. And obviously he he, he took that uh, took that offer very well. So those would probably would have been my standouts. Yeah, yeah. No, there's cer- certainly some. Uh, as you say, Basham was uh, he was class. He was making some real um, rampaging runs, and uh, he's sort of player we need at Ulster. To be honest with you, um, in terms of um, looking ahead, though, Jack. I mean, we talked we touched on the fact that there are things Ulster need to improve on as they seek to beat Edinburgh, and more importantly, as we progress into the playoffs. What are the things that you would sort of target uh, if you were Dan McFarland and you're saying, saying the Ulster guys, this is what we need to do, what would you pick out? Everything, basically. Uh, everything needs to sort of improve, really, because it's it's a lot of accuracy that's that's the missing piece. I know that's kind of a lazy thing to say because everything needs to be accurate, but there's there's so many there were so many little errors. There was like a little switch play that McElroy tries to do after he comes on for Mikey's HIA. 
he tries to do a little switch for Stockdale. Whether Stockdale called for that, but it's it's just lazy and it's just not very mm. it's not very well thought out. They're not committing any defenders. It's just like, hey, let's just throw some offloads and see what happens. It's not it's not very smart. The defense is obviously what what everyone will say that needs to improve because he scored 40 points against the Dragons. You think, yeah, well, that's probably kind of um I mean, sorry to say it, but kind of par for the course. If you can if you can break down dragons quite 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 well, you can you can put 40 points on them. But the fact that you let them back in and the fact that it was just, you know, Roger Williams just running in from from 40 odd meters, there's there's a lot that's gone wrong before that to to allow for it to happen. So you need to like like I said at the start, like the kicking was pretty poor. I uh, I thought there was a lot of kicks that either were put out way too short or there wasn't enough a good enough chase or that just not enough competition in the air. I thought actually that was one of the points of difference that the Dragons made it really, really tough for us was that they got guys in, in the eye line and they got guys through the escort kind of um, blockers, as, as it were, for Ulster. So they they made life difficult and we didn't um, fix it sort of on, on the pitch. So in that second half, we really should have just buckled down and, and, and just played a bit of kind of knockout rugby as it were and, and just sort of kick for territory I actually think territory was, was quite in the Dragons favour I think it was only about 42% so um, they actually had quite a lot of um, territory but um, yeah I just think that there's there's just that little there's that little 10% and maybe it's because you're you know again no disrespect but you're kind of you're playing the Dragons you get into a lead and you take your foot off the gas Um and you know, like we said earlier, we can't do that against against good opposition. So um, there's probably quite a lot that that needs that needs improving. But I think if they uh, if they if they improve most things and don't take too many more risks, then I think that they can be a little bit more conservative and and and, and get a, and get a win against Edinburgh, which is just all we need right now. We don't need to be sort of flashy to to get past Edinburgh. We just need to we just need to win. You know. Yeah, I know that's the thing. I think we're we're all sort of assuming we'll we'll smash Edinburgh, but where I, I sort of thought that, but the more you think about it, they've nothing to lose, which can be dangerous sometimes. <laughs> the team comes out and they just have nothing really to play for, nothing to lose. They play with a certain degree of freedom and give it a lash, and that can be dangerous, especially if if Ulster are complacent. So it'd be slightly. I think we'll be grand, but famous last words and all that. So. I want to turn, one of the things we need to focus a wee bit more on is Tom Stewart. And I always think with uh, hookers and, well, basically anyone choosing to take the ball off the back of a a line-out mall, it's sort of like everyone else does the hard work, they get the credit. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Tom Stewart and how talented a player he is because he contributes a lot around the pitch. He contributes uh, both in attack and defence. But Paul, tell us, talk to us a wee bit more about Tom Stewart and and maybe reflect on where he sits in terms of the Irish hookers that we have at the minute. Yeah, funny, he was, well, not surprising, he was the player sent up post-match. You know, when you get a hat-trick, you're grabbing all the headlines. Um, first time beating him, impressive individual, very grounded, very modest, just putting his tries down to the, with a, the boys' hard work and he's just more or less there at the end, just to finish it all off. But he, he spoke quite well when asked about the tries and how he scores and how the malls work. He just basically, if, if that's going forward, he just keeps lashed on. And if he feels it coming to a, a halt, he would just break for it. And maybe a combination of a wee bit of communication with the nine. And also if he sees any gaps. So it's all that awareness. But uh, he was saying that uh, he, he got a tell off from Dan Super for his hat-trick try because that was a move for the backs. And he shouldn't have been there. So it was supposed to be a back to finish that off. <laughs> but uh, he, he he just said uh, I asked him about it and he said oh he was just in the right place at the right time wasn't doing any sort of he wasn't reading the game or nothing like that but uh... a lot of people who play or used to play rugby listen to this podcast if you're struggling with an injury lack of mobility or some form of pain that you've just got used to living with then you need to get it sorted back to better physiotherapy is a physio practice I highly recommend Practice owner John Quigg is extremely experienced. He's worked with professional sports teams such as Ulster Rugby and Middlesbrough Football Club. Back to Better provide physiotherapy, massage treatment, personal training and rehab. They also have an ice bath and sauna in-house, which are fantastic for recovery and health. They're located at the Building Box Gym in East Belfast. Book using Instagram at Back to Better Physiotherapy 
or type their number in your phone now. 075 685 3022. That's 075 685 3022. Get in touch with them and get your aches and pains sorted. William Carlyle Coaching, helping yo yo dieters stop living their life on a diet and achieve long lasting fat loss results. We've helped hundreds of dieters ditch the strict, boring and bland diets whilst losing 15 pounds minimum in 90 days. This is all done with the Fit for Life Transformation Programme. It's the counterintuitive approach to weight loss and will change your life forever. If you want to know more, grab your phone or pen and paper to write down my social accounts. On Instagram, it's at William Carlyle Coaching. On Facebook, it's just William Carlyle. If you'd be interested in learning more, drop me a message and let's chat. Yeah, he's certainly, he's, he's hot property. 16 tries and 13 URC games. And with 17 out of 17 for the season, but I think that's the breakdown. It's it's phenomenal. Um, maybe this World Cup is probably is probably a bit early for him. Um, but I would say post-World Cup, you're going to see him a lot more in the Irish jersey. I would say him and Dan Sheehan. Mm. I think I think that's where he's up. He's up. I think he's challenging Dan Sheehan. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Do you think? I suppose there's an a, a, he's an injury away from the World Cup squad. Do you think? Well, that, well, that's it. He was involved in a few training camps there, the Six Nations. He yeah. got a, a few days here and there. So um, he's, he's he's definitely going in the right direction. Well, that's it. I, I, and tries aren't everything. I think someone on a previous pod was saying, look, you, you maybe you need to worry a wee bit if your hookers are are scoring all your tries. Uh, I don't know. That's it's a tried and trusted method of doing that. But um, in terms of Ulster's backs as well, something I, I want to talk about. I don't think we really got far in terms of the backs. It looked like McCloskey sort of chucked it up a few times, but in terms of and Stockdale came in, but we're not really functioning too well in terms of getting those getting those backs moves um, working. There's a lot of sort of drop drop balls and. Uh, confusion in the back line so I don't want to over, overstate that but uh, certainly like as we've already touched on that uh, it's, it's an area that we need to improve on and there's chat obviously with Ruan Pinar today announcing uh, his retirement at, in October that he might come back and have some sort of coaching role now that's that's unlikely and he's <laughs> I think he, he can hope for for something like that to happen but he's he's not actually expressed any interest in doing that unfortunately but we probably need someone to sort out our backs i don't we haven't been firing in the way that i'd like and we need we need more tries from our, our wingers um and like that is nothing not not taking anything away from tom stewart but uh i remember it was sean cronin used to score an absolute bifle for and indeed, uh, uh, Shane does as well. I suppose anyone with a, a powerful line-out mall that is, is bound to, to get their, their hooker up there in the, the score charts. But in terms of, um, I just want to touch on this briefly, Yeston. How vulnerable did Ulster look? Again, like we, we sometimes view things from a certain perspective, but did Ulster look pretty vulnerable whenever, I think it was around 16 minutes or something like that. They took their foot off the pedal in the second half. Uh, maybe talk a wee bit about that. Should we be giving more credit to the, the Dragons for their fight back? Uh, firstly, I just want to say it's not all Irish hookers that score loads of tries. Um, as someone who's been following the Ospreys for quite a long time, Sam Parry's got a really good um, try scoring record. I think he was one of the first, well, he's definitely the first Ospreys forward to score a hat trick. And that was about oof, six or seven years ago. So it's not it's not always in Ireland. We do get some things like that in Wales where, where it's just uh, just the pack doing most of the scoring. And this is kind of a, a theme for the Ospreys this season. But um, swiftly going back to conversation, um, you know, when you when you give away two tries in such quick succession, you, you kind of feel like momentum slipping away from one side and, and going to the other. And obviously with the way that Roger Williams finished off that is his score. You thought, oh well, this might be a little bit of a bit of a bit of a late fight back. But um in 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 hindsight, obviously Elster just made sure they didn't let let them back in and um and just made sure they regained control and, and got the arm wrestle back back to them their way and, and and they did that just fine in the last quarter. And well in fairness to the Dragons, I said earlier on in this um in the podcast that um they had a couple of poor performances against Ospreys in Glasgow. Um, but I thought at one stage that um, they could have been 
a very similar result in terms of performance. But but full credit to them to try their very best to, to get back into the game and they, they did with those two tries. It's just a shame they just couldn't get a bonus point so they could get something out to, out of the game and, and a, a tricky trip to a tricky trip to Ireland. But um but you know obviously when you look at the scoreboard it looks vulnerable but I thought but I thought Ulster just had enough control. Yeah, just about. We got over the line. It looked pretty comfortable in the end, but as I said earlier, a few hairy moments there. I was like, oh no, if it wasn't for, for sort of Nick Timoney coming on, having that instant impact as well and getting a wee bit of distance. Um, I, I was going to be a bit more worried, but yeah, we had that. Te- we've had that tendency, and like I'd love to see us not take our foot off the pedal like that. But you'll never have the perfect eighty minutes, I suppose. Um, you got to aim for it though. Um, in terms of uh, depth, uh, and we'll come to this. I think this is probably a good jumping off point, but I want to turn to Nathan now to just ask you a wee bit about depth going into the business end of the season. So we're lacking Tom O'Toole, Marty Moore. Ian Henderson still out, broken wrist, wasn't it? Um, so, number one, what do you think about Ulster's depth? Where are we vulnerable? Number two, how do you rate Ulster's chances when it comes to these playoffs? Are we a team that are, again, like you come at this with a degree of neutrality, Nathan, but like, are Ulster nearly men? Is that the perception of them? And do you think that we can, we can actually achieve something this year? I think it depends on the draw, doesn't it? I mean, a home, a home top of second is now very likely, isn't it? So look, you could be looking at a home quarter and a home semi, and I think that's massive. That is absolutely massive. I think, I think if that happens, and and Ulster have had a very, very good chance of getting to a final, um, and you know that final could well be in in Dublin and in a place where that's very accessible to fans based on the expected results. Um, on the other side of the draw. Um, but that's looking ahead a little bit. So, you know, Ulster could play reasonably, averagely, but do enough to scrape out a few wins at home and find themselves in the final. Uh, and I think that's huge. That's absolutely huge. So it's it's uh, it's vital that they, you know, they secure that against Edinburgh this weekend, um, Friday night, isn't it? But in terms of depth, I mean, do you remember last year, I think it was after the defeat in the semi-final, we were talking about how just the bench wasn't used. There was a clear lack of trust in bringing whoever was there on try and impact the game which is kind of why I thought the the Andrew in, uh, impact that he made was good to see because you know it's a long-standing problem for, for Ulster and one that like you said we, we won't get any better with with the people out that you have that you have mentioned um I still think that they will if asked to travel to a South African team they will struggle depth wise um they'll be competitive I think they could they could easily beat a South African team at home if they get the draw um and you know, I, I just think they don't have the the depth to change a game against against the Leinster in the final if if that's how how what what happens. So um, it's kind of the same old story, isn't it? Um, I think there are signs that you know a couple of players could come into some form. We've kind of hinted at, but at the end of the day, um, you know who's who's going to you know Jeff Tamang Allen's going to play tight head. Who's going to back him up? That's a pretty a pretty big one. Um, and then you know where's the where's the depth at second row coming with. With with no Henderson, does you know does do they do they slide Sheridan back in there? I know he's been going well at six, so it's 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 a strange one. Um, I know it was it was Carter got the got the start um on the weekend, but you know is that a second row pairing going to win a URC title against? Uh, you're going to have to beat either a South African team or Leinster or both. Um, I don't know. This is a bit skeptical. So I think it's just, it's the same narrative as always with this Ulster side. Not yeah. necessarily. Sorry, not not that sounds that sounds quite disparaging. Not to be not in a disparaging way. It's just it's one of those things. I mean, um, they were lacking Henderson for Dublin, weren't they? Whereas you know there are other teams in the league who lose players of that caliber and still uh, can can go off and and, and win a trophy. Um, I, I don't know if Ulster can based purely on because those teams are there. Yeah, yeah. No, I, look, I think it's completely fair what you're saying, and as much as I love to chat up the. Ulster Leinster rivalry. I, I don't fancy your chances against them in Dublin. <laughs> I think I got. I, I sort well, of. The, the only thing is that it could be after a European run for Leinster. I mean, they 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 most they most of the time if they go all the way in Europe, they 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 botch it the week after in 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 the URC. They've only ever won the double once. Um, and I think last year when yeah, last year when they got to the final of the of the league uh, of the of Europe and they got. Beaten by La Rochelle the week after that, they laid an egg against um, the Bulls and got you know there was a smash and grab at home. So you know history suggests if Leinster make a European run, they're they're vulnerable in in the league because for some reason the league playoffs are always afterwards, um, which yeah. doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But 
Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think, uh, I, I think you're right. I think um, that that's your and to rub it in a wee bit for us as well. We're too busy off playing in Europe to uh, to to, <laughs> to <bother laughs> your Mickey Mouse competition. No, I, I know what you mean. Though, like, there's uh, that will always be a huge challenge. I love the sort of to build up those games, uh, the trip down to Dublin and all that. But I came crashing back down to earth in that uh, Champions Cup round the 16 fixture, and you're like, oh, flip! There's a bit of a golfing quality here. Uh, speaking of a golfing quality, we're an Ulster rugby po- podcast, but I was watching all the other provincial rugby at the weekend, uh, and one of the the most incredible games was the Leinster game. Loved it. Um, drama. It was, it was very uh, Leinster in an unfamiliar position of nearly losing, and then of course they came back and won. Of course it did. Um, one of the guys, just very briefly, Nathan, talk to us about Sam Brandercast. Let's build him up. Uh, to the point where he'll he'll suffer an inevitable fall. <laughs> no, that's 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 very much the risk that we, that we face the young players. But let, let's stay realistic. But how good a player is Sam Prendergast? Well, I remember watching him. I watched him and I watched him in the flesh once. Uh, the twenties were playing a Leinster development side or whatever they call it in one of those warm up games they did before the Six Nations. So this when was this? Back probably back the end of January. They were playing in Donnybrook, and I went along to have a look. And he was just like, he's just one of the most confident rugby players you'll ever see. He's just got a, you know, it's such a cliche, but he's got that swagger. He does. He's, he's six foot four. He can kick the ball miles and he's got a beautiful set of hands and he knows it. Like he, he's just, he, he plays like he knows he's good. And sometimes, you know, you want your tend to be like that. I don't know if he's as loud and abusing people that Sexton is or was before Farrell. Um but, you know, that kind of confidence and self-belief that comes in, it's hard not to make comparisons between, mm. you know, someone who will be retiring uh, this year who has already played his last game for Leinster, unfortunately. Um, you know, that groin injury has, has kind of screwed him over. Uh, but, um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, I was impressed with him there, but it was I guess it was easy for to be impressed with him because of the, the Calibre competition. He then went on to play in the 20s and showed, you know, there was that ridiculous 50-22 against Wales, wasn't there? There was just lots of moments and a nice a ridiculous offload. There was lots of, like, gifable Twitter content from him while he also was a really good distributor. And then, you know, he goes off and scores a winning penalty in his first game. Um, now, it was a very easy penalty, granted, but he played really well. Like, there's his first yeah. contribution, if you watch, you, you watch the game, the mm-hmm. try that the tight end Adelaza scored in the first couple of minutes, like, it was just a really good flat ball, pick the right runner on the line. You know, welcome to pro rugby. Your first decision <laughs> is to put someone through a gap on the posts. He's look. He's 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 uh, he's he's. Uh, what I think. Look, I've seen a lot of Twitter hate about all the mainstream media. So I guess this is aimed at me. Uh, um, hyping him up like they hyped up Harry Byrne, and look what happened there. And you know, you're going to ruin his career because of media hype. If media hype doesn't ruin people's careers, first of all, and second of all, pointing out that a guy has played ridiculously well in his first pro game. That he's very athletically gifted, six foot four, and has a big boot, and is also look, looks to make the good decision. I don't. I think you can highlight all that. And the whole point about rugby as well is you get excited when these kids come along because you know you pin all your hopes and dreams on them. There's no point if you can't get slightly excited. But at the same time, saying he's pretty good now and he's only twenty isn't going to ruin his career. Um, he's in a really good position mm-hmm. of he doesn't have if he uh, he might force his way in because of his performances, but he doesn't have to play a meaningful European game of rugby for two years because Ross Byrne is there just signed a new contract for Leinster. Harry Byrne is there. And if they need him, they, will, they don't use him at 10, but if they need him, Kieran Flaudy is there. So he will be eased in. He'll play AIL. He'll play the odd URC game for Leinster. And he will get he will be eased in and they won't throw him in before you know he's too soon because they just don't need to because yeah. they have the talent there at out half. And, you know, Ross Byrne isn't Johnny Sexton, but he's a very fun- functional European standard 10. Um, so there are all the ingredients are there, and he'll always be playing in front behind a dominant pack. It looks like in the URC, if that's if he plays URC for two years, two three years, um, you know he's not going to be thrown to the wolves against La Rochelle and gone fix the game for us, please. Even though he probably out out of all the tens at Leinster, he's probably the guy with that most uh, the highest level of game breaking ability. So um, yeah, I think I think it's harsh to say that we're hyping up too much because I don't think we are. First of all, and second of all, I don't think there's any harm in saying a kid is, it looks pretty good. Um, and his path to the pros will be looks like it could be um, a smooth one for him, provided he stays fit. Yeah, no, as you say, I don't think he's going to be one bit bothered by people building him up. I was sort of joking there before, but um, he... well, it's not you. It's more so just like the, the people, like the amount yeah. of people I've seen on Twitter that have been like, "You guys ruined Harry Burns' <laughs> career. You're going to do the same." And it's like, well, no, 
his dodgy hamstring and me ruined Harry Brown's career. No, well, no, his, no, his career is not ruined, but you know what I mean. No, Nathan, it was you and your colleagues who were responsible, I think. But uh, <laughs> um, no, it's uh, as I say, like Brandon Cast is brilliant. Your man Charlie Tector apparently he's very good as well. He's played the he's played the old cameo, hasn't he? He's come on. Well, he's the... he's going to be collateral damage. I mean, he's a Grand Slam winning on Six Nations under twenty out half as well. I mean, he was last yeah. year's golden boy, and he didn't have the same hype as Prendergast, uh, but he's seen as a more than serviceable option as well. He, he's probably going to have to leave. I think he's going to be squeezed out because you know, like I said, the young Harry Byrne's still there. Ross has just signed a new deal, and Foley's still around as well. So. Yeah. I think Tector might see Tector might see the writing on the wall and 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 go elsewhere. Yeah, and that brings us on really neatly to the the next point that I was going to talk about. And just to finish off here, I want to discuss Ulster's contract situation. So this week has been one of ups and downs over the past few weeks, really, in terms of uh, announcements being made about retirements or players moving on. But equally, some players signed uh, signed on new contracts as well. So look, it's a it's a always a sort of Sad time and happy time for various players. Very interesting time for fans uh, as we look on, we debate uh, who should be going, who should be staying, who should we be looking to bring in, uh, what sort of Leinster players can we uh, scavenge from their their production line <laughs> of pens, for example. Um, in terms of, uh, I'll direct this to everyone, okay, so just jump in. Look, we have uh, Craig Gilroy, uh, you probably saw by now uh, at the time of recording he's about an hour ago announced that he's moving on, he's not retiring he's looking to get another contract and presumably, well I don't know, another country because he's talking about a new experience so I doubt he's going to call it or somewhere <laughs> but um, uh, in terms of Rob Little as well, I wish I could say I was shocked, I'm disappointed and I think it's a wrong decision Ben Moxham and Aaron Sexton both staying, I think Rob Little's a better player than both of them and by some distance. So I found that interesting. And not not slagging those guys off, but I just think Rob Little's a very good player and he's your best finisher probably at Ulster. Uh, now, he, he may have other limitations, but I, I really rate Rob Little. But anyway, enough from me. What do you guys think of the contract situation? Who do you want to see stay and undergo? Not not that maybe I don't want to be harsh and say this guy must go, but more in terms of like if you have to retain people, um, there's a few names um there at the minute they have not um announced yet. There's one big one, Ian Henderson. Uh so guys, what what do you think of the con- contract situation? How's it gone so far? I think it's probably going pretty well. I think that um, for me, the big one was the fact that Flannery decided to uh, stay. And that was a very big sort of surprise, I think. I think most people were expecting him to go back and, you know, play for Shannon, etc., etc., and then get some game time monster. But I think it's a smart move for him. I think he's got more of a chance at starting big European games with us than he does with uh, Monster because he's basically got no, no chance with, you know, Carberry and Crowley, they're going to start the big games for them. So I was delighted at that. And the one guy that I really want to see actually just get back playing rugby, I don't even care if it's um, not with Ulster, is um, Will Addison. So um, really just want to see him back. And I know that it's kind of ominous because they said, oh, yeah, I'll be back at the end of November. And we're, you know, nearly in May. <laughs> so I'm really I'm really kind of worried that he might be the next the, the next guy to drop an Instagram uh sort of letter to say, oh you know, sorry, but uh the you know the the ride's over. But um I'd really loved it for him to to stay home. I actually don't know how long his contract is, so he might have he might have another year left, but um just love to see him back playing because he's another one who's probably a little bit of a uh, a game changer for or else if he comes back, then our potential rises a fair bit. I think with it being World Cup year, they probably just want to hold on to as many players as they can because there's going to be a lot of internationals. I know we don't have as many as we we did, but providing if, if Henderson was to stay and Tom O'Toole, uh, Jacob possibly, Stuart McCluskey, Rob Herring, they probably just want to keep a, a larger playing pool as they possibly can. You'll maybe mm. see more guys moving on right. next year. Yeah. But yeah, just just when you say, well, Addison, anytime his name is mentioned at a press conference, it's like a dark cloud just mm-hmm. comes and it just mm-hmm. turns the atmosphere mm-hmm. real down and gloomy. What's like yeah, yeah. you're expecting no, yeah. when the longer it goes on, you know, the, uh, you just don't want to even speculate on the horrific time he's had. I know, poor guy. Um, but it, it, it's 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 
one of the, uh, he's one of our good recruits, you know, in terms of actual talent. But injury profile is massive as well. And uh, you look at our other recruits for this season. Michael McDonald has not played. He played like he's maybe played a few minutes, and he played a preseason game where he got man of the match, and then we never saw from him again. <laughs> so, yeah, Flannery, they were just so good together against Exeter. I know. <laughs> I so we're looking forward to him because I think Billy Burns needs it, and I got. Out, 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 half. Just challenge them there, being on his on his shoulder. But there just doesn't, there just doesn't seem. He just doesn't seem to be picking anybody. Not even Ian Madigan. Yeah. Well, who should who should we sign though? In terms of what 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 positions are we lacking in? Is there anyone is there anyone specific that we need to bring in, or you'd like to see brought in even even from other yeah. provinces? Um, there was our second. We talked about earlier second row situation. Mm. Our second row situation to be doing with beefed uh, up. Yeah. But who's Exactly. Who who would that be? That's a thing. Like uh, Quinn Rue, someone like that. Don't know what he's doing in terms of other guys coming. Yeah, oh, sorry, Paul. Yeah, you'll hardly, you'll hardly be able to tempt Alton to land back from La Rochelle. Yeah, yeah, that'll be nice. But he's though. what? He's year what? Year one into a yeah. what, three three year deal was it? It's definitely two or three. So yeah, he's he's not available, is he? And he yeah. played, he, and he's now, he's now starting for them. He played unbelievable. He played really well uh, in that game for them against Saracens. So he's like, he's absolutely flying it, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, he's some player. Um, we need to be looking, we need to be creative about who we bring in. We're looking at tight head. If Jeff DeMagallan, I think, came on a one year deal, I think his contract's yeah. up at the end of, end of the season. So if he goes, we're a bit, or we're in trouble there at tight head um, because. There's Gareth Milosinovic, who I think is actually again. I don't know for sure. Someone posted as if he's he's gone, like he's going at the end of the season. I, I haven't heard. There's not been often confirmed about that. Uh, he comes in, does a job, you know. But um, you need you need someone uh, top quality. Um, and, and there's few and far between. Like you, you look you look beyond that. Like there's not many. Not even at the other provinces. Like you're. You need to look further afield. He, he's been a real success story. Just every facet of his game, he's been great and uh, it, absolute, absolutely brilliant signing. Is, is there anyone else? Or is there any other thoughts about Hendo? Uh, it's again, probably said before the podcast recorded. No one's heard anything about that then. Like if, if anyone hears any rumours, feel free to send them to me on Facebook, Twitter. <laughs> uh, do, you think they're just, do you think they're just holding back that announcement because they haven't figured out the announcement video yet? And they're trying to they're trying to be <laughs> yeah <laughs> the the, cre- the creative department is you know spending weeks or is it are they just waiting for a potential you know if if they lose a knockout game in the URC let's distract everyone the next day with a Henderson announcement video uh, yeah. I don't know which, which which theory is more likely I know it was funny after that we went out against Leicester the announcement was it was sort of underwhelming a couple of announcements and try to remember no offense to the guys but it was like Ben Moxham signs and it's like I still don't feel great about our loss yesterday, but that's better than nothing, I suppose. Um, <laughs> there was that run, wasn't it? It was like a run of like URC bench players in like 48 hours. There's like six of them. Like Andrew, <laughs> John Andrew was one of them, Moxham was Curtis was one as well. There was loads. Angus Curtis. Like, yeah. yeah, Angus Curtis was one as well. And they're you're, you're, they're like announcing them all and you're like, this is great. Yeah. But like, does this mean that Ulster aren't signing anybody else that's going to start for them next year? <laughs> I know, I know. That's, yeah, that's you know? So, so true. And I was just like, whoever has come up with this media strategy maybe doesn't watch much rugby or they're just like, any announcement's a good announcement. Get them out. I um, feel like the Cooney one went under the radar because that completely puts to bed... The hmm. Scotland conversation, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. So was... the whole, the whole, but the John Cooney, Ben Healy, nine uh, ten access playing against Ireland in the World Cup. That's now, that's now gone. I feel that like that, like completely slipped. Like that was, that was like a really important announcement. I feel like we didn't make enough. Not as much we, but as in like media people didn't necessarily make enough about that. Considering how much everyone jumped on the Ben Healy bandwagon and how much John Cooney's comments on that podcast saying he's thinking about it. Considering everyone went mad about that. I feel like it was like just snuck in under the radar. Oh, he signed another, what, two years or whatever it is. Do you know, I agree with you. It was just funny. We had a guy from a Scottish fan on the party who said he's seventh choice. I thought it was harsh. It was like, oh, I don't need Cooney. I was like, you do well to have him, honestly. But um, it's it's interesting. It did sort of go under the radar. But I think it's only now that he's re-signed. I, I, maybe at the start of last season, if Cooney had said he's going, I maybe would have gone it. Oh, it's sad, but and he's been a great success story. But there's Nathan Duke and there's Michael McDonald, 
Um, is Colin McKee coming through, I suppose, as, as well? Like there's there's a couple of very good options there, but I just just haven't kicked on the way that we'd maybe hoped. I think Dope will come good, and I think he's a very talented player. But no, you're right, it was interesting, and we'll wait and see what announcement video they have planned for Handy anyway. And uh, hopefully, it better be a good one. Yeah. I was going to say it now. It's, it's in Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think um, you know quarterfinal week they'll probably announce a few big ones at quarterfinal week. That's my prediction. You can uh, you can hold me to that because I reckon they'll try and hype up the, the the home sort of quarterfinal crowd and they'll maybe announce like a couple of uh, a couple of big ones maybe then. Look, guys, I think we've we've covered quite a lot there. There's there's a lot more we could probably go through every member of the squad and say whether they should stay or go. But we've discussed the key ones. We'll have to just wait and see for the next couple of weeks. Ulster will now turn their attention towards Edinburgh for the last round of the regular season. So we need a win. I think any win will do. And that will, for perspective, semi-final at home uh, if, if we beat Edinburgh and in the second place. Thank you, Munster. Uh, genuinely, I've always been a big Munster fan, but never more so than uh, they got that shock away win in South Africa. <laughs> it was like, fair play. Love yous. Well done. So, look, Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks to Nathan, Jack, and Paul, and Yeston. And sorry, Yeston, for all the sort of very specific Ulster chat there at the end, but you know what you're getting into. And uh, no, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. No, Welsh rugby's uh, slowly rising with new uh, contracts being handed out. There's a few today. So, um, so yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on again. Absolute pleasure. Guys, thanks so much. No problem. Hello, the Red Hand listeners. This is Jonathan Moore from SS Moore Sports in Belfast. We're just opposite the front door of the City Hall onto Chester Street, where we've been since 1950. We, again, like most other years, carry a full range of the Ulster rugby product. We do hoodies, tees, polos, jackets, gilets, scarves, hats, luggage. We do adults and kids. And that can be seen in store or online at ssmsports.co.uk. Hope to see you guys soon. And don't forget, shop local. Imagine a place free from gravity. Imagine a place free from all external stimulation, where the only thing you can hear is your own heartbeat. A place where your physical and mental health can rest and recover, where you can reconnect with your whole self. That place is Hydroease. Come and join us. You can find us at www.hydroease.com hydro-ease.co.uk